Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 185 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, as always, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed the penultimate week of the NFL season. Hope you all had a tremendous, happy, safe New Year's celebration. If you got a New Year's resolution, let me know what you're working with. Comments, social media, you know the deal. If where you're listening has a comment section or social media at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. As for the resolution front, well, maybe try to pick games a little better. Try to be a little bit more concise. Try not waste y'all's time now and again. But then again, if this is your first episode or your 185th, thank you for wasting a little bit of time with us. And we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to get straight in. This is our final episode of the 23-24 regular season. We're excited, ready to talk playoffs, ready to talk clinching scenarios. And we're going to do that by starting my standout seven. Number one, let's go straight in and get a playoff picture update like we've been doing the last few weeks, and we're going to talk all the clinching scenarios before breaking down the week that was in week 17. Speaking of which, is it weird to anyone saying week 18 and having it be a regular season week? I mean, I know it's been a few years now, but uh, it's still a little odd. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm still just so used to the good old days, but anyway... That's neither here nor there. Playoff picture update. Start with the conference of the Super Bowl loser, the National Football Conference. Right now, the San Francisco 49ers are the one seed. Now, playoff picture via NFL.com, just like we always do uh, when it comes to the injury reports. One seed clinched. San Francisco 49ers, they are currently 12-4. and four. The Detroit Lions have clinched the NFC North title. They are currently currently the three seed listed in this thing as the second team. The Dallas Cowboys are currently the two seed. With a win, they will clinch the NFC East, though they have already clinched a playoff berth. The Eagles, also 11-5, need Dallas to lose, and they need to beat the New York football giants in New Jersey to improve their spot from what is currently the five seed top wildcard all the way up to division winner status, right? The wildcard team that has clinched the other wildcard team, I should say, because one of the NFC East teams is going to be in the NFC is the LA Rams, fresh off a victory over the Giants, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the show. They are nine and seven going into a matchup with the San Francisco 49ers. They can't catch the winner, or rather the loser of the NFC East. San Francisco can't be caught. It's going to be a little bit of a backup bowl, so to speak. Who knows? Could be a relatively fun one to watch either way. Now, the openings that we have in the NFC, again, per NFL.com. We already discussed Dallas needs a win and they're in. Philly loses and they're in. The other openings we have. The wild card, number seven in the NFC. Green Bay, eight and eight, facing Chicago, seven and nine. That'll be in the 425 time slot. If Green Bay wins, they're in. Immediately. First year post Rodgers, they are a playoff team. However, if somehow they tie, they will need Seattle to lose or tie, plus New Orleans to lose or tie, or Seattle to lose, plus Tampa Bay to lose, or Seattle to tie, Tampa Bay to lose or tie, or they need 
a Minnesota loss or tie, plus a Seattle loss, plus a loss from either Tampa Bay or New Orleans. This would make their game with Chicago meaningless. Wouldn't matter what the Packers did on the field if those things happened. By the way, the Vikings taking on the Detroit Lions. Moving on. The Minnesota Vikings need a win, plus a Green Bay loss, plus a Seattle loss, and either Tampa Bay or New Orleans to lose. Those things happen, they will be a wild card team at 8 and 9. New Orleans needs a win and a Tampa Bay loss to clinch the division, or a tie and a Tampa Bay loss. If Tampa Bay ties, I guess, and New Orleans wins, that would still work. Uh, however, to become a playoff team, New Orleans would need a win, a Seattle loss or tie, and a Green Bay loss or tie. We discussed the, the Eagles scenarios, very simple. Win, Dallas lose. Tie, Dallas lose. Would be good enough. Uh, Seattle needs a win and a Green Bay loss or tie. You know what, I'm going to I'm gonna cut through some of the ties here, guys. We're not going to get a tie in Week 18. We almost had it a few years ago, or maybe it was last year even. It's not going to happen. I'm going to trim through the ties here. We've been talking too much about ties. NFC South, keep it simple. Tampa Bay, win against the worst team in football, and you're in. Tie, somehow. And New Orleans needs to lose their tie to clinch for them. However, if they tie, and Seattle loses, and Green Bay loses, they can still get in as a wild card team. On to the American Football Conference, because I'm getting tired of the time we're wasting here. The Baltimore Ravens have locked up the one seed. They are 13-3 by week. Going into week 18, we'll probably not see a lot of starters out of them. The Chiefs at 10-6 have locked up the AFC West Division title. They are currently the three seed. The Cleveland Browns have clinched the five seed. They are a wildcard team, cannot move up, cannot move down, I believe. Yes, cannot move down. Let's go with that. They will be the five. Miami Dolphins have clinched a playoff berth. If they beat Buffalo, they win the division. If Buffalo beats them, they drop down to the wildcard seeds. Buffalo's scenario, as we just said, win and you're in. However, if they lose and Pittsburgh or Jacksonville has lost, they will get in. Additionally, they can get in with a tie or a tie between the Texans and Colts. Okay, Texans win and Jacksonville loses, you win the division. Or, if Jacksonville wins, and they win, they get a playoff berth. There's some tie shenanigans here, but we're skipping it. The Colts win in a Jacksonville loss or tie, you win the division. Or, playoff berth, just beat the Texans. Similar scenario. Uh, Jacksonville, as we said, win and you're in. Miami, win your division with a victory. Pittsburgh clinches a playoff berth with a handful of things they're going to need some help. As we sit right now, the Bills are 6 and the Colts are 7. Pittsburgh is on the outside looking in all the way at 9. They will need a win and either a loss from Buffalo, a loss from Jacksonville, a tie in the Colts-Texans game. If they tie in their game against the Baltimore backups, they will need a Jacksonville loss and Houston and Indy to not tie. I'm moving on. You've lost my interest. I hope I haven't lost yours as we go through the litany of 
tie-breaking and clinching scenarios that we will almost certainly hear again in, depending when you're hearing this, I was going to say, you know, handful of hours if it's a Sunday or 24 hours if you're listening on Saturday. Whenever you're listening, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully this ages well, but either way, we're going to get it in spades from all the broadcasts from whatever game you happen to tune into. So let's move right on. Number two in the standout seven, let's just talk AFC games from the past week that were impactful. And none more impactful than the blowout victory the Baltimore Ravens had over the Miami Dolphins. Oof. Oof. This game, I believe it was 21-13 pre-halftime, just before the two-minute warning. And they rushed to the line, they being the Dolphins, rushed to the line to run a play before the two-minute warning, which was odd. But okay, you know, you want to be a little aggressive. You want to maybe get Baltimore off guard. And Tua promptly, promptly throws it to the other football team. Great interception by Roquan Smith. It becomes 28-13. It becomes 35-13. It ends 56-19. to um, I mean, yeah. From the moment Tyreek Hill dropped a touchdown, I'm sure Dolphin fans were like, oh, maybe it's not our day. And you can say that again. Tua goes 22-38, 237, two touchdowns, two picks. Solid game on the ground if you look at the stats from Devon Achan. 14 carries for a buck 07, a guy that was hurt a little while ago. No Raheem Mustard in this one for them. Um, no Jalen Waddle either. Tyreek goes 6 for 76. On the other side, Lamar Jackson probably has the best game of the season that he's had. Um, Vegas locking up the MVP for him already based on their odds. My qualms with, you know, some of the statistical stuff aside... Baltimore's had a tremendous year. He's their quarterback. He's had a great year. It is what it is. Five touchdowns in this one on three incompletions for Lamar. Um, mixing in only 35 on the ground, but let's just say he didn't need it. Two catches, two touchdowns for Isaiah Likely. Everything went perfectly for Baltimore. I don't think they will have a more dominant victory over a good team for the rest of the year, but we'll see what happens come playoff time. Next, let's talk AFC South. It was a pickle. It was a tight spot. All these teams coming in last week. And what happened? Every one of them won. The Titans folded. Will Levis winds up getting hurt very early in this game. They put up three points. C.J. Stroud, workman-like game, I would say. 24-32, just 213 through the air and a touchdown. Devin Singletary pitching in 80 on the ground. Damian Pierce factoring his way back into this offense. Didn't contribute too, too much. Um, without Tank Dell, I think their offense is significantly less scary. But we're going into Week 18. If C.J. Stroud finds a way, either if he has a good game, it'll probably lock up Offensive Rookie of the Year, potentially. Though, I mean, Puka Nakua is putting up crazy numbers. If they win that division, I tend to think he might jump up some people's rankings above even a, a record-setting or record-chasing year out of Puka. Either way. Um, other teams in the division, dominant victory from the Jaguars, 26 to nothing over the lowly Panthers that had, uh, the owner of the Panthers throwing, what, a cocktail into the crowd or something that was very bizarre. And then he gets fined 300 grand, which is like the equivalent of getting a parking ticket for like, what, five bucks for a normal person. Um, then the Colts locked into a pretty close game late in this one with the Vegas Raiders trying to fight for a winning season. They didn't have Josh Jacobs. Their rookie QB had to drop back almost 50 times. And if you include sacks, I believe it was 50 times. Big game out of Devontae Adams. On the other side, I mean, they just continue to chip away, right? 
workmanlike performance. I guess that'll be the phrase of the week from Gardner Minshew. 15-23, 224 and a touch. Jonathan Taylor looking like Jonathan Taylor on the ground. Almost five yards a carry. Um, pretty good game for them. A good win. And they're putting themselves in position this week to host a game against the Texans, which is ostensibly a playoff game. Win, you're in. And it's at home. Next in the AFC, let's talk about Kansas City for a second. Because this was the least convincing victory maybe I've seen in a minute for the Kansas City Chiefs, though they are prone to these. You're talking about how many field goals in this game? 21 to 29, up 245 and a touchdown for Mahomes. Great game from Pacheco on the ground, seven yards a carry. Six for six with the boot, Harrison Butker. Um, I mean, you won the game. So, Chief fan, you can't be that angry, you would think. But this is not going to fly against the playoff team, right? Like, right now they are the three seed. They would match up if things held exactly. They would match up with the six-seeded Buffalo Bills. I tend to think six field goals won't get it done against the Bills, but I don't know. Maybe the defense can carry a, that much. Um, not convincing. There was some weird stuff during the game. I, what is the beef with Jamar Chase and the Chiefs? I know there's some there's some beef there, but, like, why? I, I'm a little confused. It's He was talking before the game about how they don't have somebody like a, a Jalen Ramsey that we should be scared of. It's like, okay. I mean... They had three catches for 40 yards. Like, you didn't really do much in this game, Jamar. I, like, I get it. No, Joe Burrow's not out there. But, I mean, if you're talking smack, you might as well put up some stats. Yeah. I get it. They've beaten them before. I get it. This is a little bit of a bugaboo for Kansas City now and again. But Kansas City's the defending champions. There's no jewelry on your finger, buddy. I'm a little confused. I don't know. Very weird to me. Bengal fan. LSU Tiger fan. Somebody explain to me down, comment section, social media, wherever, where, where this beef comes from. Did did Andy Reid say something? Did Spagnolo say something? Maybe during a pre-draft interview they said something to him, which wouldn't make any sense to me because they never had a chance drafting high enough to get Jamar Chase. So w- what's the beef? Is he just doing it to win over the uh, the Bengal fan that he, he doesn't have to win over? Because, I mean, he's Jamar Chase. What more does he have to do? He's a superstar receiver. Either way. As we continue to speed through, because we're going to touch on a lot of these games. Final one I wanted to touch on will transition us from the AFC to the NFC here. And from 2-3 to on our standout 7. Let's talk about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is going to stick with Mason Rudolph. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But in this game, Rudolph goes 75% completion percentage, 274 through the air. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris combined for 40 carries. Yes, you heard that right. 4-0 for 197 yards and three touchdowns. Absolutely gashing, decimating the Seattle defense. And on the other side, Seattle's offense was not terrible. They get shut out in the first quarter, but I mean, put up 14 in the second, only nine in the second half, and you lose by a touchdown. Geno goes 23 of 33, 290 in a touch. The running game wasn't really there, but per carry, it was decent. I mean, you can't give up 200 yards on the ground to Pittsburgh. 131 receiving yards for George Pickens. Had a great game. I mean, 
this is just a weird one, guys. Like, kudos to Pittsburgh. Maybe Mason Rudolph is giving them the reliability they couldn't get out of a Kenny Pickett. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the veteran presence. I- I'm not 100% certain what it is, but uh, evidently, whatever he's bringing is more than enough, and it's a huge win. And, you know, we talk about bigger win, bigger loss, usually, in this segment. The biggest win of all these AFC teams, it's hard really to measure it out. Because Baltimore clinching the one seed and decimating Miami has to get the edge, right? But you talk about Pittsburgh putting themselves in position where, yeah, they're not in it, but a little bit of a stumble from some of the teams above them, and they could find themselves in it. In a year that, if you look at them realistically, in an AFC that's relatively stacked, granted the QB injuries have cut into that stackedness, if you will, they're not, in my opinion, a top AFC team this year. I don't think that's a hot take. I mean, I tend to think if you're a postseason team, like right now, in the AFC, the two seed is the Miami Dolphins. Do we think the Miami Dolphins, if they clinched that two seed, would be losing sleep over facing Pittsburgh instead of facing a team like, I don't know, Cleveland, who looks really good and it's in their same division? I don't know. Maybe I'm underrating Pittsburgh. But uh, I still will say, solid win for them, and they clinch another winning season, which uh, native New Yorker, as I say over and over, is to me like hearing the Yankees not having a losing season. I don't care about non-losing seasons. We care about rings. That's kind of the job. Uh, Either way, taking it to the NFC perspective, Seattle's loss is awful here, right? Pushes them right now all the way to the 8th spot. They're 8-8. Eight eight. If they were 9-7, and seven, they would control their destiny, right? I think maybe even have tiebreaker, depending on how that would shake out. But now they need a little bit of help from the Chicago Bears, and that will be an interesting one. We'll talk Chicago Bears in a second here. Um, other NFC games, talk about this atrocious, no-good, awful Cowboys-Lions game. Um, and I don't mean the game itself. The game itself was great. You had the fake punt early on from Dan Campbell. Ballsy, right? Gutsy. Tremendous. Um, And you had Dallas, for the most part, doing everything they needed to do. Dak threw the ball to the other team once, but for Dak, that's, you know, not the end of the world. That's about as expected. 345 through the air. Tony Pollard not giving him much on the ground, but that's par for the course this season. CeeDee Lamb was tremendous. 227 yards. Brandon Cooks looked pretty good. And the only thing that's left to talk about is the two-point conversion play. The two-point conversion play that we are told Dan Campbell cautioned the officials that he was thinking of running early, before the game. Then, they run the play, and somehow, one of the officials just has a little bit of a brain fart, I guess you could call it. And I I will go to this, because I know Cowboy fans have been saying all over, well, look, 70 goes in with 68, too. He goes in, too. Yeah, here's the thing. The NFL sent a league-wide memo on this. Do you think the NFL would send a league-wide memo if it was just improperly done by the Lions? Because I don't think so. I don't think they'd have any reason to send a league-wide memo if everything was done properly. Right? Of course. 
yeah, no, this is exactly how it was supposed to be officiated. There was no problems. You know, it, it, they're just bad losers. You know that Dan Campbell? Hmm, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. And it's a weird one. Because as we look at the standings right now, obviously it gives Dallas the edge. Because Philly went out there and fudged the Huggies at home against Kyler Murray. Complete fudge everywhere. Now, Dallas is 11-5. and five. Philly's 11-5. and five. Well, it could have been Dallas at 10-6. and six. Mm. And they're playing the Commanders, who have had a thud of a season when I thought they might do uh, a little better. I don't know, man. This, this feels rough to me. And I, I know people love to say scripted and all that and blah, blah, blah. I said weeks ago, the perfect script is Matthew Stafford leading the Rams against the Lions in the Lions' first home game and however long. It's too perfect. It needed to happen. Well, I didn't mean you needed to, you know, screw the Lions out of a win and force it into happening. That was not what I was implying. Not to mention, realistically, um, I mean, the Rams sneak away with a win, and we'll transition a little here. The Rams sneak away with a win over the Giants in a game that they easily could have lost. The Giants go for two when they're down by a point, right? Because they got nothing to play for. Why not? They're down 26-25. Tyrod Taylor just somehow throws it behind Saquon Barkley out of the backfield, which is kind of inexplicable. He doesn't catch the ball. Fair enough. It's been that kind of season for the Giants. Then they go down and get a shot at a field goal with Mason Crosby and, you know, nothing. He winds up missing it. The guy was on his couch a couple of days ago. I can't really hate on him for it. It is what it is, right? I, I don't understand. But additionally... This was set up by a huge run by Tyrod Taylor. But then, the Giants ran up and spiked the ball on first down and 10. Okay, that's fine. Only to run the ball on the next play. So, you stopped the clock so you could restart the clock to get L.A. to burn timeouts. This is pure, putrid game management. This makes no sense. Why are we stopping the clock to restart the clock? How does that ever, ever, whatever. It's a lost season for the Giants. Congrats to the Rams. But my only point being, if the Rams would have lost, they would have found themselves potentially being down there as a seven. And then you could have had the Lions properly at two facing Matthew Stafford at seven. Either way, um, kudos to them picking up the win. And I'm really honestly Lion fan. You guys get it rough all around, and you're having to deal with the Pistons being like the worst sports team since the Charlotte Bobcats, who are so bad they were renamed and just deleted from existence. The other NFC game I wanted to touch on here is Green Bay. We usually do the primetime games, and really, I I think that's the only one we have left. So, Green Bay went out and just put a whooping on the Jaron Hall-led Vikings. And look... I call myself Nostradonautic for a reason, but it's not rocket surgery when you have a QB in Jaron Hall who's, I mean, come on. If he was ready, they wouldn't have went out and got Dobbs. If he was ready, they wouldn't have Nick Mullins. He's not ready. He might be good someday. I don't know. But it's kind of a developmental sort of thing. He goes out, he goes 5 for 10, 67 yards and a pick. Some of his throws did not look so good. 
Uh, Mullins comes in very late already, throws for a buck 13, but realistically, Green Bay won this game pretty quick. This game's 23-3 at halftime. 256 and three touchdowns from Jordan Love. Pretty solid. Buck 20 on the ground from Aaron Jones. You couldn't have drew it up any better if you're a Packer fan, considering they had some injuries in the skill position. At wide receiver, well, Bo Melton steps up and has a 100-yard game and a touchdown. Two touchdowns for Jaden Reed. Nothing to complain about from a Packer fan perspective. And oh, by the way, now in the most meaningful game of the young Jordan Love era, you get a home game against the Chicago Bears to decide if you're going to be a playoff team in year one. Kudos. Biggest win, um, or biggest loss, I guess, would probably be Seattle, like I said. But uh, biggest win out of these teams, it's hard because Green Bay didn't see them necessarily as a playoff team year one. Jordan Love, good for them. The Rams bouncing back, good for them. We've got some real positivity uh, as the chaser here after we opened up with the loss for Seattle and the quote-unquote loss for the Detroit Lions. Number four in the standout seven. Would it be four? I think, yeah. Number four in the standout seven. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears. Um, and the reason I want to talk about the Chicago Bears is kind of obvious. We've got a situation where Justin Fields went out there last week and playing the Falcons, a team that could be a playoff team. Bears coming in at six and nine. Falcons coming in at seven and eight. And Fields goes 20-32, which is all right. Pretty good. 268 and a touchdown. He runs for 45 and another touchdown. And the crowd was chanting, we want Fields. And I'm just here to present to you, I'm not certain that's the way to go. I mean, are, are we seeing significant improvement out of Justin Fields? I will say this. I think he has, you know, tremendous athleticism, and I think he's got a solid arm. Sometimes he can throw a good deep ball, right? He can fit it into some spots with that arm strength, but, I mean, guys, it's hard to evaluate him. I'll give him this. This is me trying to be fair here. It's hard to evaluate him when his receiving core is just never good. It's just never good, guys. Like, you take a look this year. Justin Fields has 2,400 receiving yards. Half of his yards are to DJ Moore. DJ Moore has 1,300 receiving yards, guys. He has half of their starting quarterback's yards. That's... Granted, am I manipulating the stats a little bit here? That's true. Fields got hurt. All right, so it's a little under half, let's say. Tyson Bajan was really lighting it up, huh, in the four games he played. But it, it's surreal. Like, I think Cole Komet's a decent tight end. I think DJ Moore is obviously, I mean, if he's putting up these numbers in the Bears offense, what could he put up in, you know, Kansas City? Um, Darnell Mooney, I've heard people say Darnell Mooney's good. I mean, 400-yard receiver in an offense that needs receivers, guys. I don't know. Um, the running back room, I'm not explicitly really sold on. Khalil Herbert at running back. Missed some games, right? 583 on the ground. Dante, Deontay Foreman, 425. They look okay, but there's just no threats on this offense other than Justin Fields and, and DJ Moore. So as much as I want to look at his stats and tell you guys I don't think it's it, because look, I mean, the guy started 37 games, played in 39, right? He has 40 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Like, 
if he throws two touchdowns this week, he will have a career high in passing touchdowns. That will be at 18. Like, guys, come on. I get it if you want to say it's a chicken or the egg sort of problem. If you want to make the comp to, you know, even a guy like a, a Daniel Jones, where it's like, oh, his receiving core was never great. Yeah, but it's like Daniel Jones had more to work with than, than Justin Fields, even. Saquon Barkley is a legitimate Pro Bowl caliber running back as of a handful of years ago, right? I think Darius Slayton is an underrated deep threat in this league. This year, Darren Waller came in and immediately got hurt, but he's one of the better, when he's on the field, athletic tight ends in the league. That's more than Justin Fields can say he ever had. I'm not saying Justin Fields should be out of the NFL. I'm just saying it's an interesting proposition to me if you're the GM of the Bears and you have the opportunity to get your pick of the litter. Now, if you look at Caleb Williams and, you know, Mays and uh, all of these guys coming out and you go, you know what? I think Justin Fields right now is going to be better than those guys for the next two years. Maybe, maybe you know, career, sure. Because you've already put in three years of development into Justin Fields. That's true. So he should be better than them next year easily just by way of, I mean, he's a veteran and they're rookies, you'd hope. But I don't know. You can get a lot for a number one pick if you're trading it. I think you can get a decent haul for Justin Fields. Because if you're thinking, oh, he's better than all these young prospects, you can't be the only one. And if you're the only one, you should probably be a little concerned. But realistically, someone's going to be willing to give up some trade capital for Justin Fields. The other thing to consider, obviously, pushing into his fourth year, they're going to have to talk about the fifth-year option and potentially a contract extension. And people lost their minds when Daniel Jones got $40 million a year, fresh off leading a team to the postseason and winning a playoff game. These Bears teams with Justin Fields, I mean, his his record as a starter, he has never won more than five games in the season. He was hurt this year in their 7-9. and nine. Two of those wins go to Tyson Bajan. But, like I said, is it his fault? Not necessarily, because the team's not good. So, I mean, if you keep Fields, can you, can you trade to two or three and get Marvin Harrison Jr.? Can you get, you know... Can you somehow talk the Falcons into freeing Kyle Pitts? Like, what can you do to actually build a formidable offense for this team? Fields or not, you need weapons. This team is not playoff caliber with this personnel on their offense. No matter who's playing QB. Tom Brady playing QB. This team is not playoff caliber. So I I guess I say all that to punt on the matter and say you got to build a better offense. There's an argument to keep Fields. It's doable. There's an argument to get rid of Fields. It's understandable. Fields will be in the league next year either way, starting somewhere, I would say. Should it be in Chicago? Mm, I'm not certain. I'm truly not certain. Speaking of QB dilemmas, number five in the standout seven, let's talk about Pittsburgh's decision to go with Mason Rudolph here. And we had a little bit of a controversy because there was a report that Kenny Pickett reportedly told the coaching staff he wouldn't play backup, that he just wasn't going to do it. He wouldn't back up Mason Rudolph last week. And he came out, obviously, and said that's not true, which, of course, he would. Um, In two games, the last two games, 
Mason Rudolph is 35 of 51, which is just under 70%, for a little under 570 yards. Pretty good. No interceptions is the big one. I mean, if we're being honest, if we're playing the man's game, we just talked about Justin Fields. Kenny Pickett has started 24 games. He has 14 wins. Okay. You know, we talked about wins and losses. It's not really a QB stat, but you can factor it in, I guess. How about the fact that he's got 13 touchdowns in those games? Would you say that George Pickens is better than DJ Moore? I would not. However, if you take DJ Moore out of the equation, I mean, is Pat Fryermuth significantly worse than somebody like Cole Komet? I wouldn't say that. Would you say that a backfield with Najee Harris and now Jalen Warren is a bad backfield compared to the backfield including Deontay Foreman and Khalil Herbert? Mm, I'd say it's comparable. Obviously, Pittsburgh's got a better defense. I don't know. I was a Pickett fan. Use air quotes on that one. Not a diehard fan, but I thought he was pretty good. He just hasn't put up anything. I, I don't know if it's the offense. We talked about Steeler fans blaming everything on Matt Canada, Matt Canada, Matt Canada. So are you throwing the baby out with the bathwater if you get rid of Pickett? I'm not saying, obviously. Now, taking into account here, starting Rudolph as the hot hand is not saying Pickett is done in Pittsburgh, right? We've seen teams ride the hot hand before. I'm just suggesting to you that maybe the current regime doesn't exactly have a lot of faith in Kenny Pickett coming back against a backup Baltimore defense in a must-win game. How does that bode for them going into next season? Well, it depends on a lot of variables here. Just wanted to put it out there. It's a weird one to me. And quite honestly, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm probably sticking with Mason Rudolph too. Like, I mean, the guy threw for almost 300 the last two games. Kenny Pickett had 2,000 passing yards in 12 games. Like, you know, theoretically, they're a run-first team. Right, but you look at some of these games. I mean, nineteen of thirty for a buck sixty. I mean, he's getting the attempts. Fifteen of twenty-eight for a hundred and six yards. Like that's bad. That's not good, guy. I mean, there's a stretch there where he goes for what two thirty against San Francisco. They got blown out. Two twenty against Cleveland. He had a fifty percent completion percentage. He's just look. If the Steelers could have Justin Fields tomorrow, they'd do it. This is what I mean when I'm saying if you're the Bears it's an interesting spot to be in because you don't necessarily have to only trade the pick if you want to try and build your team. You could probably get something decent for Justin Fields. Intriguing, to say the least. That'll bring us to number six in the standout seven, just some speculation from your boy. Now, I'm thinking for the future here. I have talked a lot, it seems, about the tush-push here and how I think that there probably is a ban brewing. I think if I were Nick Sirianni and or one of the coaches in the postseason this year, I would make it explicitly sure that the tush push gets banned. Now, am I sour graping right here? No, not at all. What I mean by that is what I would do is I would do what Philly has done a little bit here and there in terms of using the tush-push as a full functional formation. The Giants have run. The Giants are not a good team. We know that. 
The Giants have run a tush-push-esque formation. It's sort of like a weird wishbone, almost, I-formation, hybrid formation, where you've got the QB under center, and you've got, like, split backs, but they're next to each other, right? And sometimes a third back where you can run, like, a weird counter or a sweep, and you've got someone to fill up the middle and be a lead blocker. If I'm Philly, that's got to be in the playbook. And they've done plays similar, and we've seen them go for length, right? Anything under three or four yards, I'm in that formation. And it's not just Philly, by the way. We saw the Buffalo Bills roll with some tush-pushery and some QB sneaking this past week as well. And Josh Allen's got kind of the build. I mean, he doesn't have the strong... They love to talk about Jalen Hurts' legs, as weird as it is. He's got super strong legs, I get it. But, I mean, Josh Allen with a more athletic Roethlisberger sort of build, right? Not more athletic than Jalen Hurts, but more athletic than Ben Roethlisberger was. Uh, in terms of his speed, you can get some weird plays going. You mix in throwing somebody in the backfield, right? If you're a team like Miami, where you've got a Tyreek Hill. And, you know, obviously Miami, it's a weird situation because you don't want Tua to get hurt coming off of the multiple concussions last year. But if you can get that under center and just find a way to get the ball in Tyreek's hands, maybe Tyreek on one side, Jalen Waddle on the other, and Alec Ingold in the middle. Let's see what we can do here in this weird split-back formation and just make it a menace. If they're not going to ban it, then take advantage of it, right? It comes across as sour grapes when I talk about it because it's one team, right? One team is taking advantage of this. Well, it doesn't have to be one team, guys. You can really make this an impactful thing to where it is ad nauseum and it is annoying and every short-range situation should be free cash, If you've got the personnel, and if you're a playoff team, you probably do. Find a way to make use of it and just make it a nuisance until they'll do something about it. That's what Philly has done, right? Every fourth and one, third and one, whatever, Philly does whatever they want. It's converting at like a 90% clip. All right, well, if it's that efficient, let's steal it. Let's do it. And I think in the postseason, we are going to see In big situations, we're going to see at least one team that's not Philly bust out some shenanigans. And because the other teams are not expecting it, they're like, oh, it's going to be a tush push. And then it's boom. It's a little sweep to Tyreek Hill. Or it's a little counter from Buffalo. Or it's a little counter to Tony Pollard, who hasn't had a great year. Pretty good player. He's got the athleticism for it. Let's see what he can do in a situation like that. Number seven in the standout seven. Let's talk news and notes. Uh, Obviously, we talked about the referee shenanigans before. Brad Allen and his crew, per Adam Schefter, assigned to the Steelers-Ravens game back on national television, even though Schefter was the one to say as well that they're probably not going to get to work a playoff game. But they'll put them on national TV. All right, well, you know, if you're getting paid, you've got to work somewhere. Uh, Seattle news, injury news, Jamal Adams to injured reserve. Bradley Chubb of Miami, torn ACL very late, very late in that blowout loss to the Baltimore Ravens. We've seen these injuries late in blowout losses time and time again. I believe they were under five minutes in the fourth quarter there. That game was thoroughly over. Unfortunate coaching decisions from Miami. Unfortunate break for Bradley Chubb. Uh, Dalvin Cook cut by the New York Jets, and he signed promptly with the Baltimore Ravens. I was a fan of the Dalvin Cook signing. For the New York Jets, obviously the Rodgers injury kind of flipped things on its head, but he really, 
I wouldn't even say he didn't contribute, because, like, to contribute, you need to have a chance. The guy had 67 carries. Like, what are we doing? You're talking about a guy coming off of four consecutive 1,000-yard seasons rushing. I mean, 2019, 1135 rushing and 519 receiving. The next year, 1,557 yards on the ground, 361 receiving. By the way, he played in under 16 games in the first three of those four years. 14, 14, 13. Last year, he played all 17 games. It's very weird to me. And look, maybe it'll be an impact for Baltimore in the postseason if he learns the playbook quick enough, or maybe they simplify it for plays where they could use him. I think he's a pretty talented running back. He's 28 going on 29. He's not 39 going on 40. Very weird. Very weird. Um, additionally, and we'll go through the injury reports as we get to the games, we're going to see some teams resting their players. Teams that have things locked up, one of which, Joe Fluco, not going to go out there for the Cleveland Browns. We talked about Lamar Jackson, not going to go for the Baltimore Ravens. We'll get into that in more detail in just a second as we wrap up the standout seven and head in to my favorite part of the episode, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion. And we're going to get started with a Saturday afternoon game. Baltimore Ravens playing host to the Pittsburgh Steelers. This one's going to be on ESPN, ABC, ESPN Plus, and Deportes. Pittsburgh, questionable. Three players on their defensive side. Linebacker Elan and Roberts with a pectoral. Two safeties in Minka Fitzpatrick with an E and Trenton Thompson with a neck. Baltimore, going to be resting Lamar Jackson and Odell Beckham. Also going to miss this one, offensive lineman Kevin Zeitler with a series of injuries and rest. Malik Harrison with a groin. Marlon Humphrey with a calf and probably some rest as well. And DB Daryl Worley with a shoulder slash ankle. Doubtful for this one, wide receiver Zay Flowers with a calf. I tend to think we won't see him. Questionable, wide receiver Tylen Wallace with a knee. Corner Arthur Mollett with a hip. Fellow corner Brandon Stevens with an ankle. Safety Kyle Hamilton with a knee. And Ardarius Washington with a pectoral injury. I don't think we'll probably see Kyle Hamilton either. Um, Baltimore needs nothing out of this game. They will be playing a lot of backups, and Pittsburgh needs this game. They need it desperately. I feel a little squeamish picking Mason Rudolph to win a must-win game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Moreover, a must-win game against a division rival, as good as Baltimore, but with Baltimore not playing their starters. I'm going to take Pittsburgh to win this on the road. Next, we head into the Saturday primetime spot. This one is also ESPN ABC, ESPN Plus, and ESPN Deportes. The Houston Texans head to Lucas Oil to take on the Gardner Minshew-led Colts. Can I, can I reiterate for the 59th time in as many episodes how unfortunate it was that Anthony Richardson got hurt this season? This Colts team is 9-7 and seven with Gardner Minshew. This team would have been nuts. I don't know. They're still pretty darn good. Don't get me wrong. But, wow. From what I saw from Anthony Richardson in limited time, I would have really been intrigued to see how he could have did. But, either way, Texans going to be without wide receiver Noah Brown with a back injury and D-end Jonathan Greenard with an ankle. Questionable wide receiver Robert Woods with a hip. Fullback Andrew Beck with a calf. Offensive lineman Laramie Tunsil with a groin. Three D linemen as well with Will Anderson with an ankle. Malik Collins with a hip. And Sheldon Rankins with an ankle. 
Colts going to be without corner Chris Lamons with an ankle injury. Questionable, backup running back Zach Moss with a forearm injury. who looked pretty good in the time he was taken over for Jonathan Taylor. Maybe get a dual back thing going if they can keep going into the postseason. Uh, also questionable, three O-linemen in Braden Smith with a knee, Ryan Kelly with an ankle, and Big Q Quinton Nelson with an ankle as well. And on the defensive side, questionable corner Kenny Moore the second with a back injury. I was super high on the Houston Texans when they were rolling there. Then we had the Stroud injury. Just prior to that, we had the Tank Dell injury. I admittedly am going to find it hard to see them winning this game. Not like Indy is some powerhouse, but Indy is at a little bit more full strength with Jonathan Taylor back there, Michael Pittman. Granted, the edge would go to Houston, obviously, and C.J. Stroud over Gardner Minshew, as much as I'm a Minshew maniac. Uh, I'd have to give them the edge in that one, but I don't know if it'll be enough. Is D'Amico Ryan's going to be able to scheme up enough pressure, force some mistakes out of Minshew, maybe have some guys lunging at the football, force some fumbles? They're going to need some help from that defense if they're going to take down the Colts on the road, and I don't think they have enough. Give me Indy winning this game. I know, by the way, at the end of the pick'em portion this week, since we are in Week 18, I'm going to wrap up what my picks would mean in terms of playoff projections here. So don't worry. Don't try to do all the crazy tiebreak shenanigans in your head. We'll get to it right at the end. Um, Just like we'll get to Sunday's slate of games, the AFC South could be decided by this matchup. Well, actually, I guess technically will be decided no matter who wins on Saturday night because the Jacksonville Jaguars are kicking off our 1 o'clock slate against the Tennessee Titans. Questionable for the Jags, they're starting QB Trevor Lawrence with a shoulder-slash-finger injury, as well as wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee and hammy, and Christian Kirk with a groin. Titans going to be without wide receiver Colton Dowell with a knee injury in this one, as well as D-lineman TK McClendon with a shoulder and two DBs in Anthony Kendall and Caleb Farley with a knee and back, respectively. Questionable for them, a huge one. QB Will Levis with a foot injury. Now, admittedly, if I'm the Titans... I'm probably not going to play with Levis in this one. Just on the off chance that he somehow exacerbates his condition and has some long, you know, lasting injury where he needs a surgery or something, just give him the day off. Let Ryan Tannehill get a swan song game here with the Titans. That's just me, though. Uh, The rest of the injury report for Tennessee. Tight end Kevin Rader, questionable with a hip injury. Offensive lineman Daniel Brunskill with an ankle. Jalen Duncan with a neck. And outside linebacker Caleb Murphy with a shoulder injury. I've got Jacksonville winning this game. They won last week pretty convincingly with C.J. Beathard. I think if Beathard goes in this one, it's going to be a little bit tighter because they've ran into Tennessee before. Um, Tennessee knows what to expect from Jacksonville a little bit more. But uh, give me the Jags to win this game on the road. Next, we've got an NFC North matchup between the Vikings and the Lions from Ford Field. The Vikings... Going to be without wide receiver Jalen Naylor with a concussion. O-lineman Brian O'Neill with an ankle. D-lineman Jaquelin Roy with an ankle as well. Corner Byron Murphy Jr. with a knee. Makai Blackman with a shoulder. And safety Theo Jackson with a toe injury. Questionable O-lineman Christian Darasaw with an illness. And guard, fellow O-lineman rather, Ed Ingram with a shoulder. The Lions, from what I've read, going to be playing some starters in this game. Seeding to worry about in the NFC is my understanding. They're going to be without wide receiver Jamison Williams with an ankle-slash-illness. 
Tight end Brock Wright with a hip and linebacker James Houston with an ankle. Questionable. 2D lineman and Aleem McNeil with an E and Benito Jones with an illness. And safety CJ GJ. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with a pectoral injury. Um, Minnesota needs to win this game and do some praying if they think they have a playoff push in them this year. I'm not certain there's enough things to break their way. Not to mention the reports saying that we're going to see Detroit starters at least for a little bit here because this game does has some meaning to them. Leads me to believe I'm going to have to take the Lions to win this one at home. Now, admittedly, I'm a little squeamish because I'm not sure how long we're going to see those starters. Um, right now, Dallas is the two-seeded 11-5. and five. They're playing the Commanders. But this game is going to be done and dusted before that game even kicks off. So in order to keep themselves in the mix here, Detroit's going to have to win. Give me Detroit at home. Next, we head from one division rivalry to another, the NFC South this time. The Atlanta Falcons could have been playing this game for the division, though they've had some stumbling down the playoff push here. The Falcons heading to New Orleans to take on the Saints. Falcons going to be without offensive lineman Drew Dahlman with an ankle injury, linebacker Troy Anderson with a pectoral, and DeMarco Hellams at safety, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable, their quote-unquote starting QB. I'm not sure how this is going nowadays. Uh, Taylor Heineke with an ankle injury. They're going to need him out there, presumably, if they're going to try and sneak into the postseason. Um, actually, are they eliminated? Let me double-check here. Because, like I said, it's been a bit of a bumpy road. No, they are technically in it. They are listed as 12th. 12th in the NFC, but they are in it. Current chances per NFL.com to make the postseason, 14%. Even if they win, it only goes up to 36%. Also questionable, and I'm not sure if we finished this, but I'll finish it again if we did. D-lineman Zach Harrison with a knee and corner Mike Hughes in the concussion protocol. For the Saints on the other side, they're going to be without O-lineman Landon Young with a knee injury and safety Lonnie Johnson with a knee as well. Questionable both backs for them, and Alvin Kamara with an ankle and Kendra Miller with an ankle-slash-illness, as well as wide receiver A.T. Perry with an illness, tight end Juwan Johnson with a chest injury, 2D lineman in Kalen Saunders with a concussion, and Peyton Turner with a toe, and safety J.T. Gray with an illness. I'm going to take New Orleans in this one just by way of they're at home. Both of these teams don't look great. New Orleans' road to the postseason is a little bit less foggy than Atlanta's. Maybe they'll get up for this one. Additionally, I'm not super convinced that the Atlanta head coach will be long for his position, and I tend to think that this game might be the nail in the coffin. Give me New Orleans to win this one at home. Divisional all around the league as per usual for the last week of the season. The New York Jets head to Foxborough to take on the Patriots. Oh boy, what an exhilarating game. 6-10. and ten. At 4-12, and 12. Jets going to be without both QBs and Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson. Tight end Jeremy Ruckert, who's in the concussion protocol, and O-lineman Jake Hansen in the concussion protocol. Doubtful, another O-lineman in West Schweitzer with a calf injury. Patriots going to be without tight end Hunter Henry with a knee injury. O-lineman Trent Brown with an illness. Questionable, three wide receivers. Devontae Parker with a rib injury. 
Matthew Slater, who's also a special teams aficionado with a hamstring injury, and Tyquan Thornton with an ankle. Also questionable, tight end Farrell Brown with a rib injury, and a laundry list on the defensive side. Christian Barmore with a knee, linebacker Anthony Jennings with a knee, Jelani Tavai with a tooth. Yes, you heard that right. And the DB room is very thin, as Miles Bryant is questionable with an illness, Jalen Mills with an ankle, Sean Wade with a hip, Jonathan Jones with a knee, and Jabril Peppers with a hammy. I'm going to take the Jets in this game. I, I don't know. Who's going to be out there for the Jets? Is it Trevor Simeon? Maybe I shouldn't take the Jets. I, I Sure. Why, why did they cut Dalvin Cook just so he can have a chance to go to the playoffs? Okay, that's cool. But, like, why didn't you just get rid of him a few weeks ago then so he could actually learn the playbook somewhere? I don't know. The whole thing about that is weird. Um, Bailey Zappi sometimes looks not horrible, but other times looks genuinely horrible. So, I don't know. This is not going to be a tremendous game. But uh, I know Jet fans that I have heard both on talk radio and in real life, um, or rather online and in real life, seem to want to beat the Patriots. They don't care about the draft status. They want to go out there and beat the Patriots in Foxborough. All right, you know what? I'm on board with you. Give me the Jets to win this one on the road. Next, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers heading to Carolina to take on the Panthers with the division title in their grasp. The Bucs going to be without D-lineman Mike Green with a calf injury. Questionable, but you know he's going to go. QB Baker Mayfield with a rib injury. Two wide receivers in Trey Palmer with a hip and Raheem Jarrett with a quad. Tight end Co'Keefe with a shoulder. Linebacker K.J. Britt with a calf injury. And corner Carlton Davis with a concussion. Panthers going to be without linebacker Marquise Haynes within the concussion protocol. Doubtful. Offensive lineman Cade Mays with a finger and their kicker, Eddie Pinheiro, with a hammy injury. You tend to need your hamstrings when you kick for a living. Questionable linebacker Tay Davis with an illness and corner J.C. Horn with a toe. Give me Tampa Bay to lock it up on the road. I mean, I don't think I've picked Carolina one time all year, folks. And, uh, I mean, based on their record, like, yeah, that was the right thing to do, you know. It's, it's just the way it is. Some teams, and I used to have this big spreadsheet, and I still have it somewhere. I just have to update it. Teams that I just won't pick in certain years or teams that I'll pick all the time in certain years. And uh, Carolina fan, it has not been your season. And it doesn't probably feel good seeing that your draft pick is not even going to be yours after such a downer. But don't worry. Maybe Bryce Young's got a little bit more in the tank moving forward. Maybe I'll develop him a little better next season because this one is a wrap. Next, we've got the Battle of Ohio, but with none of the big names really as the Cleveland Browns head to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Now the Browns locked up their postseason spot. The Bengals at eight and eight. Good for you. You're playing for a winning season. Browns are not going to be playing Amari Cooper with a heel injury. Miles Garrett with a shoulder slash hammy. Mike Ford with a calf. Greg Newsom with a knee. Juan Thornhill with a, a calf as well. And Dustin Hopkins as well as Joe Flacco. A no-go in this game. So uh, a lot of backups going to be out there for the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, as we said, not much um, really to do. Questionable for them, wide receiver Marquise Goodwin with a knee. Wide receiver Elijah Moore, who had a concussion we saw a few weeks ago. Linebacker Jordan Kunazic with a calf injury. And punter Corey Bajorquez with a left quad. For the Bengals, doubtful wide receiver T. Higgins with a hammy. He's had an injury plague year all year. Not certain we see him out there when it's not really meaningful. Uh, questionable, two corners. Chidobia Wuzier with a shoulder slash calf. And Jalen Davis with a groin injury. 
the Browns aren't going to be running the ones out there. They've got nothing to gain. Um, give me Jake Browning and the Bengals to win this one and uh, lock up a winning record. Next, we head to the 425 slate and things get spicy. And we're going to start off with a game between Dub Bears and the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Bears, without wide receiver Darnell Mooney with a concussion, doubtful, corner Jalen Johnson with a shoulder injury, questionable, running back Khalil Herbert with a back, tight end Cole Komet with a knee, offensive lineman Lucas Patrick with a calf, DB Kyler Gordon with a calf, and a long snapper, yes, you heard that right, Patrick Scales with a foot injury. Packers on the other side going to be without A.J. Dillon in this game, which is a huge one. They've got that lightning and thunder running back squad. Injuries have kind of ripped it apart a little bit. Uh, he's going to miss this one with a thumb slash neck injury. Safety Rudy Ford going to miss this one with a hammy. Questionable running back Emmanuel Wilson with a shoulder. Wide receiver Christian Watson with a hammy. Wide receiver Dontavian Wicks with a chest injury. Wide receiver Jaden Reed with a chest injury as well. Tight end Luke Musgrave with a lacerated kidney. Two O-linemen and Luke Tenuto with an ankle and Elton Jenkins with a knee slash ankle. And linebacker Preston Smith with an ankle injury of his own. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, how did the Packers-Bears game go earlier in the year? Good question. The Packers, opening week of this season, 38-20 on the road. Justin Fields did not have a great game. 216 through the air, 59 on the ground, one interception, one touchdown. Jordan Love, 245 and three touchdowns. Packers were leading 10-6 at half. They won this game because they scored 28. 14 in the third, 14 in the fourth. However, we're talking about a battle between two narratives here. And you know I love to tell a good story. We discussed before Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. We discussed earlier in the season, if you didn't see in any of these episodes, I'm pretty sure they're in the descriptions or the titles, page through, and if you have, thanks for sticking around. My belief on Jordan Love being the Green Bay Packers QB. I said, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. If he can have a couple of games that show them flashes, it would be enough. A couple of games. They are now down to the wire, alive in the NFC. He likely needs 157 yards to do it. He will throw for 4,000 yards as a rookie. He has thrown 30 touchdowns as a rookie to just 11 interceptions. Not legally a rookie for Ben Simmons' purposes, but all intents and purposes, considering he is in his first year as a starter. Entered the year with 83 attempts. I think Jordan Love has made the front office of the Green Bay Packers, particularly since Aaron Rodgers got hurt, feel very secure in him moving forward, at least in the near future. I think this game presents an opportunity. I could be wrong. Presents an opportunity for Justin Fields to do just that. Is it 100%? Of course not. But I think if Justin Fields goes on the road and beats the Green Bay Packers and puts them in dire straits to lock up their playoff spot. I think that would be enough for them to say, all right, we'll move the first pick. 
we'll move down two picks, three picks. We'll get Marvin Harrison, or we'll get an offensive lineman, or you know, we'll move down completely. We'll move down to like ten and get a whole heaping of picks. I think that would be what's needed. I think that would be the nail in the coffin for that. Now, am I confident that this Bears team? With a receiving core that will now also... Remember I said Darnell Mooney? He's not even going to play. Cole Komet's battling through a knee injury. Khalil Herbert, their lead back's battling through a back injury. There's games where the narrative takes over. Right? I talked about earlier in the year. Taking on, I believe it was the Lions. I talked about Jordan Love. Just get the win. Get the win and this will be this will be it. They'll hold on to this, right? Would that be the same? Am I going to pick the Bears? I can't do it, guys. Their supporting cast for Justin Fields is just so weak that as much as I love me a good story, and this would be quite the story, this would put them in quite the predicament in terms of do we keep them, do we lose them, do we keep them, do we lose them? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with the Packers. They're at home. I've got the Packers winning this game over the Chicago Bears. Our next 425 kick. We've got the Dallas Cowboys heading to the DMV to take on the Washington footballers. Questionable for the Cowboys, a laundry list. Two O-linemen and Tyler Biadish with an illness and Tyler Smith with a foot injury. Also, three on the D-line in Jonathan Hankins with a knee slash ankle, Dorrance Armstrong with an ankle, and Chauncey Golston with an illness. Two safeties in Malik Hooker with an ankle-slash-illness and Wanya Thomas with an illness as well. Must be a bug going around. Commanders going to be without D-lineman Jonathan Allen with a knee injury and three corners in Tariq Castro-Fields with a shoulder, Kendall Fuller with a knee, and Christian Holmes with a concussion. Questionable, offensive lineman Andrew Wiley with an elbow, D-lineman Casey Tuhill with a shoulder, and safety Cam Curl with a quad. That is four injuries to the defensive backfield and two injuries up front for the Commanders. They're already fighting uphill. It would take quite the performance out of Sam Howell on this offense. Maybe Scary Terry going for a buck 75, 200 yards. I don't see it happening. Give me the Dallas Cowboys winning this one on the road. Next, we head to Vegas, where the Denver Broncos, not led by Russell Wilson, are going to take on the Antonio Pierce-coached Vegas Raiders. 8-8 eight eight Broncos, 7-9 Raiders. Broncos going to be without tight end Chris Manhurts with an illness and O-lineman Mike McGlinchey with a rib injury. Raiders going to be without Josh Jacobs with a quad and tight end Michael Mayer with a toe. Doubtful O-lineman Thayer Munford Jr. with a knee injury. Questionable fullback Jacob Johnson with a back and corner Brandon Faison with an illness. I'm going to take the I'm going to take the Raiders. The Raiders play hard for Antonio Pierce and admittedly the Broncos were not a team I was, you know, I don't know. I don't want to flip-flop too much because when they were rolling a little bit and Russell Wilson was at the helm, I thought there might be a little bit of magic there. You pull the plug on Russ. You kind of pull the plug on me being interested in you as a contender. I mean, they won an ugly, ugly game against the Chargers last week. Good for you. But I got the Raiders bringing home a W at home. So at the least, even if Antonio Pierce doesn't get to stay on as coach, much like with Rich Bisaccia, he gets a chance to go out to some cheers from the home crowd. Next, speaking of Antonio Pierce, let's talk about his old stomping grounds. The Philadelphia Eagles head to New Jersey to take on the Giants. 
Eagles going to be without wide receiver Devontae Smith with an ankle injury and big play Slay at corner with a knee. Questionable running back DeAndre Swift with an illness. Giants going to be without DB Jason Pinnock with a toe. Doubtful DB Deontay Banks with a shoulder. Questionable center John Michael Schmitz with a shin injury. I believe it's going to be Tyrod again for the Giants in this one. Um, Giants played Philly remarkably close in Philly, which means that they will likely get blown out in this game, even though it might be meaningless considering Dallas needs to lose in order for Philly to move up. Give me the Eagles to win on the road. Next, we got another battle. The Birds couldn't end the year without another one. The Seahawks head to Glendale to take on the Cardinals. Seahawks going to be without running back Kenny McIntosh with a thumb injury, as well as O-lineman Phil Haynes with a toe, Abraham Lucas with a knee, and D-lineman Mario Edwards also with a knee injury. Questionable, future Hall of Famer Jason Peters with a foot injury, D-lineman Jaron Reed with a knee, linebacker Nick Ballore with a knee, and linebacker Jordan Brooks with an ankle. For the Cardinals at 4-12, and 12, just trying to get back to the home stretch here. They're going to be without D-lineman Dante Stills with a knee injury, corner Garrett Williams with an ankle, and O-lineman DJ Humphreys with a knee. Questionable, wide receiver Zach Paschal with a hamstring injury, another O-lineman and Elijah Wilkinson with an illness, D-lineman Lecky Fotu with a hand, two linebackers and Victor Dimakuje with a foot injury. That's a nominee for the all-name team coming soon, as well as Dennis Gardeck with a knee, and safety Andre Chachere with a shoulder Seattle needs to win this game, much like they needed to win last week. Arizona kind of riding high, maybe trying to end on a good note after beating the Eagles. If you can beat the Eagles, you can beat the Seahawks, I can tell you that much, but I've got Seattle winning this one on the road. I'm not super confident in it, though, if I'm being completely honest. Next, our second-to-last 425 game here, we've got The L.A. Rams backups heading to Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara to take on the 49ers backups. Rams going to be without corner Duke Shelley with a hamstring injury. Doubtful, Matthew Stafford, Kyron Williams, Cooper Cup, uh, Aaron Donald, and Ernest Jones, all non-injury related, as well as Tyler Higbee with a shoulder and O-lineman Joe Noteboom with a foot. Niners not going to be playing Christian McCaffrey in this one, as well as tight end Ross Dwelly. D-tackle Eric Armstead, corner Ambry Thomas, and safety Jair Brown. Questionable wide receivers Danny Gray with a shoulder, Jawan Jennings with a concussion, and Ray Ray McLeod with a rib, as well as center John Feliciano with a back. Also believe Purdy is a no-go in this one. He's not listed, but I've seen that it's going to be Sam Darnold, slinging Sammy, taking on Carson Wentz for the Rams. Um, admittedly, I have more faith in the depth of the 49ers, as they are a better team. But you know what? Just for the one time for the one time, I'm going to take Carson Wentz to bring home the victory on the road. Next, AFC West, our final 425 kick. We've got the Kansas City Chiefs playing a brilliant game against the LA Chargers. There's many words I wanted to use there, but we'll go with brilliant. From SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Chiefs going to be without Rasheed Rice and Kadarius Toney at receiver, as well as Legereus Sneed and O-lineman Donovan Smith. Doubtful, Patrick Mahomes with an ankle. Yeah, let's go with that. Definitely not resting him for the postseason. Uh, questionable, Isaiah Pacheco, D-lineman Michael Dana, excuse me, Dana, uh, George Karloftis also on the D-line, as well as linebacker Nick Bolton and corner Trent McDuffie. Chargers going to be without Joey Bosa, Justin Hollins, and Nick Williams on the defense and Keenan Allen on the offense. Doubtful, 
O-lineman Zion Johnson and linebacker Kenneth Murray Jr. Questionable, tight end Stone Smart, linebacker Tanner Muse, and Tuli Tupelotu, another all-name team nominee, and corner Dean Leonard with a heel injury. Who's going to win this game? I don't know. It's the beat-up Chargers backups versus the Chiefs backups. The Chiefs offense hasn't looked great when it was the starters, but the Chargers haven't looked great, period, in quite some time since the Herbert injury. And even when Herbert was out there, they didn't necessarily look tremendous. Uh, Sure. Give me the Chiefs to pad the stats, end the year with another win, hit the 11 mark by taking down the Chargers on the road. That'll bring us to the ultimate final game here. The Buffalo Bills heading to Hard Rock Stadium, Miami. 10-6 Buffalo against 11-5 the Dolphins. Bills listing just one. Questionable center Mitch Morse with an illness. Dolphins going to be without linebacker Bradley Chubb with a knee, which we just said he's done for the year, and corner Xavier Howard with a foot. Questionable running back Raheem Mustard. Knee slash ankle. Jalen Waddell at wideout. Ankle. Linebacker Jerome Baker with a knee. This Dolphins team just got stomped last week by the Baltimore Ravens. They played Buffalo earlier in the year. In Buffalo. Stomped. Decimated. This Miami team, I'm telling you, they're a good squad. But they don't need this game like Buffalo needs this game. We talked about clinching scenarios. If the Bills win, they will jump to the top half of the AFC. They will be a division winner. If they lose, they will be relying on things that have already occurred by the time this game has kicked off. If Pittsburgh loses to the Baltimore backups, if Jacksonville loses to the Tennessee Titans, or if Houston and Indy end in a tie, Buffalo can be a wildcard team. If Pittsburgh beats the Buffalo backups, excuse me, the Baltimore backups, as I said they would. If Jacksonville beats the Titans, as I said they would. If Houston and Indy don't tie, which who predicts ties? I'll go with, I would say that is unlikely. This will be all Buffalo can do to make the postseason. If the murmurings are true, and Sean McDermott's job may or may not be on the line. If the murmurings are true, and there is some frustration boiling over, with Stefan Diggs being a little less involved in the offense lately. Will we see that culminate in a little bit of an implosion on the football field? Or will we see Buffalo pull it together, as I've been saying they can do for weeks, and turn this season into a possible Super Bowl run? If they win this game, with the other things I have suggested, they will jump in as an 11-6 team, to a tie with the Kansas City Chiefs. Will they be a two-seed or a three-seed? I don't know the tiebreakers. I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't care to. Let's say Kansas City has the tiebreaker. Sure, why not? But what it will do is it will take them out of a situation where they will be playing a rematch next week in the same building against the same team in the Dolphins. If Miami wins, they go to 12-5. and five. Buffalo drops to 10-7. and seven. Oh, no, excuse me. They need some help. They wouldn't even get that. They would slip all the way out. That would be lucky for them to get another crack at the egg here. So what do I think is going to happen? Well, 
Chubb being gone as a pass rusher is massive, not only for this week, but for Miami's entire playoff push. As a Dolphin fan, I think I had Miami having a pretty decent shot in the AFC, not as a favorite per se, but as one of the teams I think, I mean, of the seven, they were in the top half, right? Without Chubb out there, and now Xavier Howard going to miss this game with a foot injury, I don't know. I've said before, I'll pick for the narrative. I'll pick for the interesting story. I'm going to pick Buffalo. Josh Allen, the guy that was supposed to be the MVP last year, remember? MVP candidate. They went out and beat the Rams, beat them down bad, right? It's their year. Josh Allen, cover a Madden, right? Well, curses don't last forever. We've seen guys do it before, and I've talked ad nauseum about how it's not always the year that the team is playing perfectly, That's the year you win the title. It's the time that you peak at the proper point in the season. Maybe Buffalo's ready to peak right here. Look, I say that now, but I could easily see this being one of those Tua and Tyreek 225 yards. This could be a shootout. This could be a gnarly game here. This could be a game of the year candidate, considering Miami's going to be getting up for this one, both because it's a divisional game, both because they got punched in the mouth by Buffalo last time, but because they got punched in the mouth last week. You can only take so many punches. Give me Buffalo for the fun of it to win this one on the road and clinch the AFC East against all odds. Let's take a look at our picks here. I just told you this game that I just picked would have Buffalo clinching the East and it would make Miami a wild card. My picks from earlier would also have the Indianapolis Colts as a wild card and Jacksonville winning the AFC South. My NFC picks would have the Cowboys holding on to the NFC East by their shoestrings and Philly, of all teams, falling as a wild card. Joining them would be the Green Bay Packers in a game that admittedly I flipped my pick multiple times thinking about that game. Bears-Packers is going to be an interesting one. It really is. I've got Green Bay winning it. I've got them making the postseason in year one of Jordan Love. And I've got Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield making it as the kings of the NFC South. That'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of episode number 185 and the end of the episode. Join us next weekend. We're going to be talking super wild card weekend, and I'm going to predict the whole playoff slate as we usually do. Let's see if it matches my picks from the beginning of the year. Uh, Spoiler, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But we'll find out next week. I hope if it was your first episode, you enjoyed. You'll join us for the playoff push here. If it was your 185th, thank you so much for sticking around. Hope you all enjoyed the 23-24 season. Well into the year 2024 here. We've got some great playoff content coming up. Got some tremendous football coming up. Hope you're excited. If your team's not going to make it, it's unfortunate. Start looking forward to the draft and tune in for what could be some tremendous storylines that we were just talking about for the past hour here, and I'm sure we'll talk about for another hour next weekend. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.